0: As you've just heard, the Bible reading is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2. That's on page 966 in the Bibles, in the church. And I expect it's on the screen, yes. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for, that, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them The exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Good morning. Lovely to see everyone this morning. Shall we pray before I begin? Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak through your word to us this morning. Lord, thank you for the example that we see from the wise men, from this story, from Matthew's gospel, Lord, of how um, they followed your way, how they followed the star to you. Lord, I pray that you'd help us this morning to follow our way back to you. Come by your Holy Spirit now, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Who likes the Christmas tree? It's pretty good, isn't it? I think bigger than last year's tree. Does the tree get a round of applause? I think it does. (laughs) That's the first time I've ever heard a round of applause for a Christmas tree. But I personally, I don't know about you, but I personally love the build-up to Christmas. I love the Christmas Dinners, I've already had about three, I think all of them at this church, which is a brilliant thing about this church, the hospitality. I love the Christmas dinners, I love the presents, I love the time where we get together as a family, I love the Christmas songs, I love the Christmas market here in Winchester. There's so many things about Christmas that I absolutely love, but there are also things that I don't like so much about Christmas. There are also things that I'm not looking forward to this Christmas. And I wonder for you, what is it that you're not looking forward to this Christmas? Okay, this is for the Scrooges amongst us. And I see there's some down here, John. What are you not looking forward to this Christmas? I'm just going to have some pictures come up on the screen if it's working, and it might not be working. Oh, can we go to the pictures? Ah, outrageous Christmas jumpers. Do we have any here this morning? No? Oh, we've got one over there. It's not that outrageous. It's quite That's quite subtle. That's good. Santa Claus, maybe, Christmas presents, or could it be James Bond on Christmas Day? If you don't like that, then I don't understand what's going on, because that is the best part of Christmas. For me, other than Jesus, of course, James Bond on Christmas Day. But there's possibly someone that you're not looking forward to seeing this Christmas. Maybe there's someone, there's one person that you're not particularly looking forward to seeing this Christmas. And maybe that's because there is a power struggle going on. Maybe it's because they're trying to put their opinion, their politics, their views onto you. You only see them once a year, and actually you don't want to be changed by this person. Maybe it's the other way around, and you're trying to put your opinion on them, and they're not changing, and it's frustrating. And you only see this person for a few hours a year. There's a power struggle that's going on. Maybe it's just me. But I wonder, as we come to Matthew chapter 2 this morning, we see a power struggle that's going on. This power struggle between King Herod and King Jesus. King Herod and King Jesus. And there is this power struggle going on. And it's a surprising power struggle. It's surprising because Jesus is a baby. Now, babies in their very nature aren't particularly powerful. If a baby needs to be fed, then you're the one that has to go and feed them. If a baby has to to be changed, if their nappy needs changing, you're the one that has to change the nappy. And I speak firsthand in saying this with a small child, that actually babies can be very powerful when they cry at 2 o'clock in the morning and wake you up, and you can't get better sleep, and then they cry again at 3, and then again at 4, and then again at 5, and I'm about to experience this again for the second time in about a month's time, so I'm not looking forward to that. But babies usually are not very powerful. And so this makes the reaction to King Herod quite a surprising reaction, that this man, this king, is so threatened by this little baby that has been born. Herod, at the time, is around 70 years old, so we hear, and he's terrified. And it says in Matthew 2, 1 to 3, that in fact, the whole of the city of Jerusalem is disturbed by this baby that is to be born. If we go to our Bibles again, let's read verses 1 to 3. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, "'Where is the one that's been born King of the Jews?' We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem was disturbed with him. Herod is seriously worried. The king that has been born is called the king of the Jews. But hang on a sec. Forty years before this, the Roman Senate had already called Herod the king of the Jews. Herod is threatened by this new king in Jesus. What we have here is a clash of two kings, a clash of two very different kings, Herod on the one hand and Jesus on the other. First we see Jesus. Jesus is the legitimate king. He was the king that was prophesied about in Micah in the Old Testament, in in many areas in the Old Testament, this king that would come to save the people, to save the Jews, to bring them out of this slavery. Jesus ticks all of the boxes of these prophecies that are made about this coming king. Not only did Jesus have to be born of a virgin, and not many people to this day are born of virgins, Jesus had to be in the line of King David, and we saw last week in the genealogy from Matthew chapter 1 that that Jesus is in the line of King David. He had to be born in um, the tribe of Judah, All of these things Jesus ticks, which makes him the legitimate king. Okay, on the other hand, you have Herod, who is the illegitimate king. Herod is so worried about his position that he has his family records burnt. Okay, and if you think you're insecure, probably all of us in this room are a little bit insecure in in some sense. Herod takes this word insecurity to the next level. He's so worried, he's so anxious about someone coming to take his place on the throne that he has many people killed. It was actually said by Josephus, the Jewish historian at the time, that it was safer to be Herod's pig than it was to be Herod's son. Herod had three of his sons killed, he had his mother-in-law killed, he had his brother-in-law killed, he had his uncle killed. And as we know, later on in the passage, Matthew 2.16, that Herod organized the mass slaughter of every Jewish boy in in that place at that time who was two years old and under. This man is so threatened by someone coming to take his place. Matthew 2.16 says, When Herod realized that he'd been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time that he'd learned from the Magi. So how different are these two kings? You've got Herod on one hand, and you've got Jesus in the other. How different are these two kings? Excuse the pun, but, but Herod is the, he's the butcher of Bethlehem. Okay, He sees all of these boys that are two years old and un- under. They're completely wiped out. This is the dark side of Christmas. But then in contrast, you have Jesus who spills his own blood on the cross, who 30 years later, when they come to arrest him, and he says to his disciple, he says, Peter, put down your sword. This is not what my kingdom is about. My kingdom is not about military power. It is not about fighting your way physically. My kingdom is different. Jesus says to Peter, Peter, put down your sword. This is not what it's about. It's a different sort of kingdom that Jesus is about. And then as Jesus hangs on the cross, written above his head, are the words, the King of the Jews. It's only Matthew 2 where this is read in a a positive way about Jesus. All of the other times we hear this this phrase, the King of the Jews, is, is a mockery to Jesus. Oh, look at him. Look at how he thought that he was the King of the Jews. Matthew 2 is the only time we see this that it's said in a positive way, the King of the Jews. Now, the coming of Jesus reveals the desperation that we humans have for gaining power and control. The coming of Jesus reveals the desperation that we humans have for gaining power and control. So how do we treat people with whom we are in a power struggle? What can we take from, from what we see in Herod. How do we treat those people? Is it by limiting contact to them for a few hours a year? This actually means, or defined, uh, the power struggle defined is one person trying to change another and the other person refusing to be changed. Either God wants to change you, and yet you're refusing to be changed, or you're trying to change God and make him agree with what it is that you believe. What is it? Either God wants to change you and you're refusing to be changed, or you're trying to change God and make him agree with you. We see here that Herod does not want to change. He does not want to worship Jesus. Are we going to follow in Herod's footsteps? Two responses to the true king. We also see these people called the Magi. Now, there is no power struggle between the Magi and King Jesus. These guys are amazing, and they're called wise for a reason, because they truly are wise men from the East. Now, they're probably Persian, probably from modern-day Iran, and the account in the Bible doesn't actually say that there are three of these wise men. It doesn't even say that they're kings. What we know is that they were probably priests from another religion and another country and they came to realize that to worship the true God that you had to worship his son Jesus Christ. They came following a star. And somehow we don't know how, but they've been told that a star will take them to the king of the Jews. What is it that makes them wise? Actually, what is it that makes any of us wise? Truly, I would say, personally, that you're wise if you follow the King of Kings, the true King of Kings, the God-appointed King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think many of us can claim that in this room this morning. You are truly wise, like the wise men, if you worship the God-appointed King of Kings. As we come to this Christmas, do we just go through the motions? Do we get caught up in the, the roast dinners and the presents and the family and all of those good things? They're great. I love them. I love Christmas time. But actually, do we remember what Christmas is really all about? Are we wise enough to remember that the coming of Jesus is what Christmas is all about? And do we heed to his instruction? Are we changed by him or are we too stubborn? Too stubborn to be changed? And I'm personally quite a stubborn person. My wife tells me that quite a lot. She's quite stubborn as well, actually. But are we willing to be changed by Jesus Christ? You know, all of us get caught up in this Herod mentality. Actually, no, no, no I'm, I'm not going to be changed in this power struggle. Are we willing to let go, to let God lead us this Christmas, to come to Jesus just as he is? The wise men, they came to Jesus just as he was. They recognize him as the king of kings. They come down and they bow down before him. They bring gifts that are fit for a king. They didn't just bring any old gifts for a baby. They bring gifts that are fit for a king because they recognize who Jesus is. They recognize that he is the true King of kings and Lord of lords who sits on the throne. They recognize who he really is. They've come to worship the one who created the stars rather than the stars themselves. They are truly wise men. Matthew 2 verse 11 says, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Now, the wise men had probably, they estimate, traveled around 800 kilometers to come and see Jesus, 800 kilometers on a camel. If anyone's ever been on a camel, I've been on a camel, and I had the, um, the horrible task of sitting on the hump. It's not very comfortable. My sister was on the side, and that was great. But I was on the hump. It's not very comfortable. 800 kilometers to come and see this king, Jesus. Herod can't even travel eight kilometers to Bethlehem to go and see this king, because he's so threatened by him. Herod plans, he plots, he plays his many games. But what's crystal clear is that God is in control. Herod is, is, is not allowed in God's divine providence to, to kill Jesus. God will always have his way. Herod is outwitted. God gives both Joseph and, and the Magi dreams, telling them to move on, to change direction, until finally Herod is completely outsmarted, checkmate. God has his way again. God is in control, as he always is and ever will be. Do we really believe that this Advent, in the build up to this Christmas? So, in conclusion, who do you worship? Who do you worship? And I know for some of us, this could be myself included, I have the tendency of of navel-gazing, of of looking at myself, and in a sense, worshipping myself. And I know that we do that time to time. Are we like Herod this morning, or are we like the wise men? Who do we worship? Herod worshipped himself. He served his need for power, for control, for comfort, for approval how many of us can identify with these sort of idols that are in our own lives? If you seek power, such as success, winning, or influence, your great fear is humiliation. Your great fear is humiliation, but people around you feel used and you battle with anger. If you seek comfort, such as privacy, lack of stress, or freedom. Your great fear is stress and demands being made of you and people around you often feel neglected and you battle with boredom. If you seek control such as self-discipline, certainty or standards, your great fear is uncertainty. People around you often feel condemned and you battle with this feeling of worry that is placed on you at all times. Can you relate to these things? If you seek approval, your great fear is rejection. People around you feel smothered and your battle is being um, a coward. But whether it's control, power, comfort, approval, Jesus says, come and worship me. Because it's not about you. I think so often we think that it's about us. We think the whole thing, this, this, this whole world is about us in the way that we act but actually, the whole point of Jesus coming this Christmas is that it's not about us. You know, it was never supposed to be about us. It was always supposed to be about him. It was always supposed to be about Jesus. And I don't know what you bring to church this morning. Maybe you can relate to some of those things in your own life. These, these feelings that we need approval. These feelings that we need comfort that we need security in ourselves. Actually, I'd advise you, be wise this Christmas. Follow the example of the wise men. Turn to Jesus Christ. Recognize Jesus as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Come to him. And Jesus says to you this morning, he says, I'm no longer in a manger. I'm no longer a baby. And as we know, Jesus, 30 or so years later went to the cross for every single person here in this room and he died the most excruciating death so that we could have freedom so that we could have our sins wiped clean he spilled his own blood for us each and every one of us when we get caught up in the the niceties of christmas and all of these different things which aren't bad things necessarily in themselves Let's remember what Jesus came to do for us. Let's be wise. Follow the example of the wise men. And maybe there's, as I said at the beginning, there's someone in your life that you only see once a year at Christmas time. And there maybe is is this power struggle that's going on. What are you going to do about that? Maybe it's time to, to make peace. Maybe it's with a member of your family that it's just this one thing that niggles at you every time you see them. Maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's a friend, whoever it may be. Bring those things before God and make your peace this Christmas. As we come to communion this morning, which we will do in a moment, maybe it's a time for us to recommit this Advent, to say, actually, Jesus, Jesus, There's all these things that I've got in my life. I I try to seek my own power. I try to seek all of these things. But actually, this Christmas, this Advent, I want to come to you. And I want to say I'm sorry. And we've had an opportunity already to, to, to say the confession together. But to come to the altar, to come to the front this morning and to say, Jesus, I want to come before you and I want to bring you all of this stuff in my life. And I want to put you as number one this Christmas. Forget all the other stuff. That's the most important thing you could ever do. It's the most important decision you could ever make. And how many of us know that actually every single day we need to come back to this place of forgiveness? It's a continual thing because we're messed up human beings. Maybe it's just me. that we need to keep coming back to Jesus time and time again. Let's listen to the wise men. Let's do as they say. Let's follow that star to the true King of kings and Lord of lords who sits on the throne forever and ever. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen." Let's just pray. Father, thank you for the real privilege that we have to read the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, that that we have experienced your power in Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray for anyone here this morning that, that needs to feel or needs to experience that power, that love that only you bring. Lord, I pray this morning that as we receive the bread and as we receive the wine, as we remember what it is that you did for us on the cross, Lord, I pray that you would go deep into our hearts, that you would change us, that you would break down those walls of stubbornness that we have, that you would bring us to a place of repentance. And Lord, I just pray that you would fill us again afresh with your Holy Spirit this morning. And I pray these things in Jesus' name.